0: This is Nathaniel Cogley. And this is Eric Morrow. Welcome to this week's edition of Cogley and Morrow on Politics. Uh, We want to welcome you back and uh, also encourage you to listen to previous episodes. Last week we had the the pleasure of having our 16th president of Tarleton State, uh, Dr. James Hurley, with us for an excellent interview that uh, was not necessarily focused on Tarleton as much as it was on his background in economics and fiscal policy and then also looking at higher education and the direction of some of that mix of all of that uh, in Texas in the years ahead. Uh, this week, uh, we have with us in the studio another special guest. Uh, we're moving here on the local level as part of our commitment on the show to cover state and local politics. We, we do say we cover local, right? So uh, yes, this, we do. This is a yes, good guest yes, today. Yes. And so we have uh, with us today Mayor Doug Savine, who is the current mayor of the city of Stephenville, uh, place where we, we all reside now. I, I was a former resident of Brownwood and commuted over here for 11 years.
1: Took you a while to figure that out. <laughs> That's
0: right, of where I needed to be. Well, part of the the mix in this was that my wife grew up here and graduated from Stephenville High School, and when she left to go to the University of Texas, she said, well, I, I, I'm not going back to Stephenville. And so, uh, it took a little while to convince her, and now it's my fault that we're back in Stephenville. Oh. But but we bought a house, we're, we're enjoying it, uh, we're, we're glad to be here. It's it, so a great community. I've been involved with it for well over a decade, and and, uh, we're glad to welcome you though today because uh, it's a great opportunity for us here to uh, look at local government and to talk about some of the things that, as we see when we teach this here in the classroom, that our students really struggle with. I mean, just the lack of knowledge and engagement of what is going on in the areas that impact them the most. I always start my course out every semester in state and local government talking about and asking the questions, you know, did you brush your teeth this morning? Did you get out on a road? Did you stop at a stop sign? Uh, Did you get a ticket on the way to school? You know, just questions, but to get them to think about some of the services and things that we take for granted every day that are provided by local government. uh, But then also to, to really move that to another level and that is uh, h- how you engage and, and uh, what opportunities we have to be not only be aware, but to have an impact on what's happening and the decisions that are being made around us. And so um, we welcome welcome the mayor today, uh, and I really want to start out with asking you about your background, what what led you to, to get into local government and to offer the service that
1: you do in this office. I appreciate the invite today, and appreciate the opportunity to talk to you all on it, and Advertise Stephenville, Texas, because that's really what my role is, as much as anything. Uh, my name is Doug Savine. I come. I was born in Burk Burnett, Texas. My father was in the military. We did move around a lot, like many military brats did. I lived in Burk Burnett and San Antonio. Graduated from high school in San Antonio. Went to college in Abilene Christian. At the time, I actually graduated Abilene Christian College. Went back and got a master's degree from A.C.U. But my background is speech therapy, and I've worked with handicapped people all my life, professional life. And so I moved to Stephenville and now I work for a company called Rock House. I've worked there for almost twenty-nine years and that my role is I'm the chief executive officer of Rock House and it's a great organization. And so I've been participating in what the benefits of Stephenville, Texas. And someone asked me one time, why don't you participate in the government of Stevenville, Texas? And I talked to my father, who was a thirty-two-year military career person and You know, his service to the public was his military career. You know, it was in harm's way about four different times. And I started thinking, well, military is not going to be my background. So what I decided to do instead was serve the public a different way. Because I remember when I ran for city council the first time, my father said, what did you do that for? And I said, well, you know, you did it differently than I did. So this is my service to the community. So that's why I got into local politics and was asked specifically by some people to run.
0: Very good, and uh, you're in your first term as mayor yes, as mayor of the uh, city of Stephenville, and uh, in in that role, uh, so Texas has different forms of local government that are established by the state constitution, uh, and and sometimes people see uh, uh, city government or city officials depicted on uh, drama shows or news on TV, and 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 of course a lot of that's centered oftentimes around larger cities, uh, but uh, govern that that role is a little bit different in Stephenville. Especially in uh, how you relate to the city council, a city manager. Could you explain a little bit about how that's structured uh, here in Stephenville, just so that
1: our our listeners and, and our community understand? there's really two basic types of government city government in texas one's called a general law city and a general law city is a city that it may be incorporated it probably is incorporated but it doesn't have home rules what that means is it follows the general law of the state of texas so this if the state doesn't uh, discuss zoning for example well then that city wouldn't have zoning rules so it just follows the state law so you could be an attorney for example or be an expert in state law and you'd know exactly how to act in that city as well whether that's traffic or anything else uh, we are what's called a home rule city and a home rule city i believe the number is five thousand and one person it takes to become a home rule city and then what you do is you become incorporated literally stevenville is a, is a is a government incorporated city Locations. So that's what we do. We operate as a, as a corporation. And then there are several different kinds of organization within that. And we happen to be one of those. But the difference between a small town, I think that there's some, exe- some exceptions to that before the law changed. I think De Leon, I believe, or Gorman or some one of those is a home rule city, but they're not obviously 5,000 people. And it may be that they lost some population, I'm not sure. But most of them are cities our size or home rule all the way up through Dallas, Texas, for example, It'd be a home rule city
2: good and we have the uh, home rule status but um, they also have this um, dynamic between the mayor the manager the council could you explain some of those interesting dynamics here in Stephenville
1: some cities have what's called a council manager Mm -hmm. type of organization where you might have you might actually you would have a mayor who is elected who actually manages the city Mm -hmm. they would become the administrator of the city the Stephenville is not that we're what's called a mayor council organization a mayor Council, what that means is there are different kinds of those, but what that means is we go hire a manager to operate. So he's the CEO, if you will, of that business. His job is to execute all the laws, the rules, and financial obligations. And then the city council then would become the legislative branch. And that's really what we are. We have a city manager. He does a tremendous job. His name is Alan Barnes. And I've told him before, anytime I speak in public or to hear to the radio, I I give out his name and phone number. And he says, do that. (laughs) But I'd, I'd say just call city hall and talk to Alan. Because a lot of times folks call me as mayor or before I was on city council for seven years prior to that. And they'd call and say, Doug, tell me about, it. I've got a problem with, or I don't like, or whatever. Well, in every situation, the first thing I do is I pick up the phone, and guess who I call? I call the city manager and say, I've got a complaint or a concern or a need, tell me about that. And then he executes that. Or he may say, well, Doug, that's not in the budget or that's not in whatever, do you want that done? And then it'd be my responsibility then to go to the council and make sure the council was in approving that change or funding it. So Alan Barnes is our city manager.
0: So several years ago, I had the opportunity to host uh, Shirley Franklin on campus, who was a former two-term mayor of the city of Atlanta. And, And one of the things that she said, I mean, there's a big difference between Atlanta and Stephenville, but then there may not be, because one of the things she said about being mayor is that first and foremost, it was about, potholes and sewer lines and so I wanted to d- direct that to you in terms of your experience here in Stephenville uh, that what uh, what, do, what do you find yourself doing in, in terms of engaging with the public uh, what are some of those those kinds of issues that uh, that people are calling your office or they're say, or they're emailing you and they're saying uh, hey mayor we need to do something about this what, what what do you what do you
1: see in that and have you experienced in this office all politics are local and it starts with things that you see and touch probably the biggest complaints you'll see are streets roads Mm -hmm. traffic control etc and so that's that's probably the biggest complaint and you probably noticed in stevenville the last few years we have done some pretty good a pretty good job of of working on on the streets inside inside of city city stevenville we haven't done a lot of replacing streets we have done what we call top coat and the purpose of that is to extend the length of that street. It's not going to make it fix it like it should be, it's is to extend the life of it. steamwell has approximately hundred miles of city streets that we own. That cities streets like Washington, uh, Graham Street, et cetera, the North Loop, Lingleville Road, those are owned by the sit by the state of Texas, not by us. So take those big long streets out, even the North Loop that goes right around over to the shopping center, back to uh, washington street the state owns those mm-hmm. so you take those big long streets out everything else in town the city owns and is responsible to to uh, maintain and so when he, someone calls and says well i i lost my dentures because i hit a pothole well it, you know that okay. never had that one quite that dramatic but that's the kind of thing that happens so it's the things you see first what really gets you disturbed, though, is when you hear things like, "Well, I walked into the bathroom and there was gray water in my bathtub," mm-hmm. and that's a sewer problem. And those are two issues that probably come up as much as anything as streets and sewer. Mm-hmm. And whether you smell something or you see something coming out of the ground, I have a pothole, I have a manhole or something, man cover. Well, those are things that people call about the first and say, "What's wrong?" And we have tremendous staff, uh, as a matter of fact, working in the sewer, particularly the water and sewer department. You know, most people don't see it because they're working at 2 in the morning and 11 o'clock at night and they're knee deep in potholes or inside of a, a hole that they've dug out
2: with poop up to their knees. Mm-hmm. Good, I'm glad you brought up the streets because I have a maybe a personal interest in this follow-up question. Um, I moved close enough to campus to where I walk to work and we also have uh, three kids. We like to take some family walks and we love being in Stephenville. But we have noticed that sometimes there's a sidewalk and sometimes there's not a sidewalk. And that's, that's unusual for me coming from California and Connecticut before here. Could you um, just inform the listeners and myself What's this whole dynamic of sometimes there's a sidewalk, sometimes there's not?
1: Sidewalks are really important for safety, for recreation, et cetera. Mm -hmm. The biggest reason why is taxes, how much it costs. You know, you had a sidewalk. Nowadays, a sidewalk is typically at least five feet wide. Some of them are eight. And it almost becomes a city street cost. Mm -hmm. And prioritizing sidewalks over replacing streets or fixing streets is probably... Uh, The easiest reason why we don't have the sidewalks that you're referring to. We have some of those now. Matter of fact, we have a project going on right now that's a grant from, I believe it's to the Ag Department, a community development block grant, where we're going to tie in the Bosque River Trail at Washington Street back to downtown it'll be a i think it's an eight foot sidewalk that will be bringing the traffic so if you don't want to walk all the way back around you know mm-hmm. to uh to the end of the bosque river trail and then get in a car and drive back home exactly you know <laughs> it's, it's sort of a halfway if you will to, to get back to where your car is parked that trail is beautiful it, by it, the way it is yep. beautiful, it mm-hmm. is a wonderful thing in there and i've actually had several folks in town there's a it's not an official committee and if i said their names they'd probably get mad at me but there are some folks in town now that are working on finishing that trail Mm you know what is it going to take it's going to take land acquisition or at least land access and it's going to take money to do it and those individuals are working on that now and interestingly because the plan would be to go back through the follow the river around Mm -hmm. and then go through the soccer fields etc and then back up to what's now called jc park Mm-hmm. And we have a grant application right now that we think will be funded that's going to build some more streets, which are, is for the purpose called. call. It's part of the safety program for students walking to and from home from school. And so that we if that happens, then we'll put a sidewalk as well from J.C. Park all the way back down to Tarleton.
2: As someone raising three kids, I just want to let you know those are very much appreciated you and bet. families are using these things.
1: It, it is and and you're right it, that we've had it, there was a time we put sidewalks in you can probably see that now but you can also see where they went for go for 150 feet or 200 feet and then they stop mm-hmm. you jump across the side a, a yard front lot or something and then they start up again well the city we have a plan right now that if you own a house and you want to put a sidewalk in front of your house we'll pay 50 percent of that cost mm. if you're a, if you a private home if it's a business we'll pay for 25 percent of it so we're we do know that is a need, we're working towards that, it's, it's literally a funding thing. And let me go back to the streets a minute, kind of give an example of why. With that amount of streets that we have, we did a study a while back, and I know that for some people in the city, spending money on a quota study, when you kind of say, well, common sense says you got to do something about it. But we actually spent some money and brought a company in that, I don't know if you call it x-rays or whatever, they drove every square inch of every street in the city of Stephenville. Okay. And they said, what is the, what does the base material look like all the way to the top? So we have a, it's like a, medical review of all of our streets and like in my case i'm not a street guy i'm not an expert in streets and and i would have thought you'd take the, the worst street first and just fix it <laughs> well but that's why we started top coating some because our experts came in and said well here's a street that might last eight more years and if you put this here it may be 12 years mm-hmm. and it'll get you past." and so you, you kind of we came up with a plan a long range plan for fixing streets But the problem we have right now is we're the study says we're supposed to be spending about 2.2 million dollars a year to maintain our streets it's not to replace one of them to maintain them Mm -hmm. and we've spent about a million to a million to a year so we're about a million and a half dollars behind i'm going to put that as a priority from my personal perspective over building a sidewalk Mm -hmm. well and that that brings
0: to a point too because i i uh drive down Harbin over here every day and, 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 you know, yeah, the,
1: you it, you a sore neck. Uh,
0: yeah, well, I, I mean, part of it, you know, part of it's fine and, and so forth, <laughs> but, but I know a lot of that is, uh, you know, we've seen over the last decade a significant growth here at the university. And so you start to bring in thousands more students and that traffic on the roads. And, and so there, uh, in addition to whatever economic benefit there, there's also the infrastructure challenges as well. And I, I, I didn't know in, in your, in your, time in office if, and and looking at that, you know, what what are some of the the benefits and the challenges being in a town like this that that is smaller, uh, rural uh, uh, Texas, but then also has a university that uh, continues to grow uh, and and bring in more students, which uh, in my experience here in in Stephenville has been very positive. Uh, I'm on the... uh, the board of the uh, Historic House Museum and, and get to visit with people there. And they're just the the connections with Tarleton all throughout the community. You just really see that, how how supportive Stephenville is of Tarleton State. So but these are some of the practical things that come with growth and come with uh, for, for the city and for the university. So I didn't know if you had some thoughts
1: on some of those uh, benefits and challenges there. I'm not sure there's a city in Texas that is our size that has as big a university as Tarleton. Uh-huh. If there is, I'd like to know where that is. I want to go visit that mayor and figure yeah. out what they're doing differently than <laughs> us. I would say that probably if Tarleton is not the largest economic impact on our city, it's, it's number two. It has a great impact on our city. You know, that we don't collect taxes from a government entity. But the secondary effect, just say sales tax, for example... I'd be shocked if, and there's some studies that we, I could go back and look at, but I'm going to, just guessing, anecdotally, there's going to be 25% of our sales taxes from students and employees who work at this, this institution. Uh-huh. Uh, you look at, you say, well, ad valorem tax, you know, I can't tax, you just bought a, an apartment complex down and took it off the tax rolls. Well, yeah, that. We lost an ad valorem revenue for that. But the secondary benefit is all the rental properties in Steamville, Texas that wouldn't be here Mm -hmm. if it weren't for the students at Steamville, at Tarleton State University. So it is a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. And Tarleton has always, well, in my tenure, has worked well with us. Uh, The part that's difficult is our planning is sometimes two and three and four years away to do something and Tarleton's funding comes at legislative sessions, and as wow. the Board of Regents decides to spend some, we're gonna build a new football field. Oh my goodness. What are we gonna do about Harbin Drive? Well, mm-hmm. Harbin Drive will become one of the main entrances into Stephenville, Texas. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it because if you, especially when you go D1, there's gonna be thousands, if not tens of thousands of people a month drive down Harbin Drive. City Council understands that, and we, we discussed Harbin Drive Back when D1 was being discussed and the football field was being worked on, the first question was, do we spend several million dollars and let a big diesel truck hauling concrete, et cetera, tear Mm -hmm. the road up? And the answer was no. And so we just, to some degree, maintained the potholes. And at this point though, the council is discussing relatively soon, redoing uh, Harbin Drive. Mm -hmm. And the current vision, we don't have a final plan. It's, it's It's the engineering firm now looking at the plans or creating plans it will look very much like Wolf Boulevard does, Wolf Nursery Road does now. And so have a have a median in the middle, have turn lanes, et cetera, so that will help control traffic. It won't have traffic lights. Uh, a traffic light to control, say, Fry Street and Harbin Drive would probably be three-quarters of a million dollars. Oh. And I'd rather put it in concrete or asphalt, curbs, et cetera, than I would right now in a traffic light. Right. Well, and if
0: you, uh, I would assume, too, if you move to those multi-lane roads, mm-hmm. like that, that one's a, a great example. I mean, that's an mm-hmm. excellent road, thoroughfare. I find myself taking that on a regular basis to in in addition to the loops to get around town but uh, uh that, that that would make a tremendous difference uh, the the other the other part of that i think and, and like you pointed out the the economic impact of of the students and the uh, uh, and the faculty and staff that work here, um, the the relationship that has been there. I mean, Tarleton and Stephenville have a, a you know well over a century of that that relationship, which I'm sure has been uh, challenging at some point, and then at, uh, and and uh, uh, very beneficial at others. Um, we're we're. What do you see in terms of that impact uh, and and the potential that it's bringing to Stephenville? Some of the things that may be on the horizon that you can share that uh, are a result not only of the growth of the community, certainly the university has a role in that as well, but uh, that's always a thing for a college campus. It's uh, it's about how you, how you market yourself, uh, the amenities that come along with, uh, going to school there, but also now, you know, Nathaniel, I was both residents here. I mean, this is a question that, that we asked. We both lived in, he's from San Francisco. I'm, I'm originally from Texas, but I lived in Boston and New York city. We, we both chose to come here back here, bring our families and live and work here. Uh, and, uh, and so those are questions about our community that, uh, that we're always asking but I, I didn't know if you might be able to share some of the things that are on the horizon for the city.
1: Sure. Let me back up just a little bit before give some examples of the future. Part of the issue we have is we need to get, do a better job of planning. And an example we had a there was a big celebration reopening campus with some new dormitories etc about what was it four years ago. Well that was an example of where we didn't have good communication. And so all of a sudden we start hearing about, well, there's going to be these new dormitories. I don't remember what anniversary it was, but it was this big event. And I remember sitting in the room at the time with the chief engineer and I said, do we have the sewer capacity to do that? And the answer was, no, we don't. <laughs> and so all of a sudden in the middle of a fiscal year of the city, what happened was we had to go out and borrow $2.3 million to do what we call the Methodist branch. It's a, one of our branches of the sewer system. So from somewhere around Fry Street south back to the sewer plant, we spent money to upgrade the sewer system. I remember talking to the president of the university and said, my fear is, is that the students on the first night or so have a flush party. <laughs> and, you know, if, when you flush 700 <laughs> toilets at the same time, some, I talked to you about gray water or black water right. in someone's yeah. bathtub. Yeah, sure. somewhere up stream as they're flushing is coming down the line then what happens it hits the big bulk here and backs up in someone's home and that's not fair as well so that's a planning thing that we need to do better at
2: and people only think of sewers when they're not working
1: absolutely it's that's why that's why i chose to start with with streets because they jar your teeth as you're going down harbin drive and so it, it is an issue uh but the future of stephenville one of the things we faced recently uh i think it's called uh, well there's an organization in town and they came up and said we have 250 semi-skilled and skilled jobs vacant in Stephenville, texas hmm. we're talking about the big manufacturing plants jobs that pe- they recruit from outside the city of Stephenville to come in many of them require college degrees some don't or technical more degrees or backgrounds and what happened is why are we not filling those positions well, it turns out that we're hiring not very many college students from Charleston State University, so the question then asked, which leads into what your your question is: Why is that? Well, part of it's because, as Dr. Tavio told me one day, said, so, "Well, Doug, it's a simple answer. What happens is for three to four years on Wednesday and Thursday they start talking with their buddies. Where are we going this weekend to do something? Because they don't stay here because of the amenities for the students to keep the students here. So Stephenville started sending people to Fort Hood." Because I think they're processing over a thousand soldiers out of the military every month, so we were doing job fairs for those industries in town to try to recruit people out of the military, come fill those jobs. That problem will only continue to worsen if we don't figure out how to keep students in Stephenville, highly skilled, multi-national, experienced come to this town and say, let me help Stephen, will be a better place, fill a job. So to do that, we're going to have to create some things that when students are here, they say, well, why go to Fort Worth and spend an extra 150 bucks this weekend, drive that far, et cetera. Why can't I do that here? And that's going to require the biggest one is entertainment. You know, students like to entertain. I have two girls. They went to high school here. Uh, both of them went off to college. One went to a Well, no matter of fact, one went to here and then she went to A&M to get her two other degrees. And that's the question is they like to have fun and socialization, interaction. And so we need some things where that can happen. You know, I've, we've heard some of it's actually through studies, some of it's anecdotally, bowling alleys, theaters, you know, venues to, to have parties, et cetera. So those are things we're trying to do. Shopping is a big one. You know, my girls that, you know, all this dad, you, all, you haven't experienced it yet, you may have, you know, how much do you put on the on the pay card or the debit card or whatever. They like shopping. And so, and the citizens of Steamville itself have asked for that. And, you know, they, you've looked at all the things they request the citizens said, the number one thing they want is a grocery store. Mm-hmm. Well, so we went and started recruiting grocery stores and we thought HEB was going to expand and build this new great big facility for some economic reasons they decided not to and they did their expansion it's a lot better than it was but it still didn't meet the needs of what the citizens said they wanted and so we've gone out and continued to recruit I expect at some point I don't know how many years it'll be someone a Kroger or someone will come to Steamville, Texas and, and build a grocery store however we have Aldi's which is not a typical grocery store uh, has decided to move to mill okay. over back behind okay. Pan Express where the Holiday Inn used to be okay. and that's where they plan to build they were expecting to build real fast Mm-hmm. And then some things slowed down. They had some national things going where they were upgrading some of their stores and had some others that were to be built before us. And so we keep in touch with them, but they had some unique requirements to come to a town, which is kind of what economic development is all about: is how do I get an Aldi's to come here because I get sales tax when that happens, and I get ad valorem tax when that happens, and citizens get to access something they would have had to drive to Fort Worth, or I think Granberry also has an Aldi's. And one of the things they said was we don't have we always set on an intersection where there's a traffic light. Well, guess where they're going is there's no traffic light there. So we've, through the developer and some other things and some assistance through CETA, uh we have a traffic light now that's going there right by what's not chicken express Panda mm-hmm. express across the street etc that will be a, a controlled intersection and there's a fine line between looking like granberry where when you drive from east to west or west to east you have 47 i think traffic lights something no, not quite a minute, but it seems like it. it takes you 40 minutes to drive through granberry because of all the traffic lights you don't want to become granberry but sometimes these bigger <laughs> industries or bigger bigger settings say i've got to have a traffic or a controlled intersection to come in so there will be one there uh, where you might notice if you drive by there there's some stakes out now where they're actually surveying the area looking for where the ramps will be for handicap once we get sidewalks etc so that's all going in and will i expect that that will be there within the next few months
0: mm-hmm. well that, that's uh my background or at least in in looking at some of this so when i was in brownwood and, and some of the conversations is that that those intersections and traffic patterns are very key like at, at one time i remember uh hearing the figure that uh uh, like uh, for an IHOP to look at putting a location in, they had to have like twenty-five thousand vehicles cross that intersection in, in a day. Uh, where in terms of Stephenville in that area, have, have, are we are we in a uh, uh, at a level, or have we have we moved up a level where we're getting more attention uh, by?
1: Uh, these kinds of like chains and other, uh without a doubt. As a matter of fact, traffic count is everything in the retail business, mm-hmm. and so exposure where you are, where you sit on the corner, is it or you sit back off the, off the road or whatever. All those things have an impact on whether you sell your product, and it is absolutely important. And Steamville has been at what they call a tertiary market, for quite some time. So we're right on the. I've, I talked to some folks, and last week I was in the ICSC conference in Fort Worth. And while we were there, there were, I think, 3,500, five, I don't know, several thousand people there, of which two-thirds of them are companies wanting, do I want to come to your town? So they're there. You're trying to sell your community to them. And some of those bigger companies would say, well, you're a tertiary market. But then i talked to some other folks who say, y'all are the next stop. Oh. Steamville is the next place we're coming. So I do believe there will be, a, well, I know there will be. I know some things that are we're still in our you know, non-disclosure agreement on some things that are going to happen in Stephenville, Texas, that will show the citizens we're no longer that tertiary market. And what will happen is success in doing that will grow into other successes. So when someone says, because as we're looking at these developments, some store X will say, yeah, I'll come to town, they'll say, but did you know the so-and-so store is going to be there? They're coming? A perfect example is Walgreens, what's always across the street from Walgreens cvs, CVS right. exactly right there's a reason there's a dynamic there and there's certain stores that say that store always brings somebody that is going to also want to shop in my store so that what's happened and as these stores these developments occur there'll be other companies that say well what do they know that i don't know am i going to miss out on something and so that will it'll be a bigger development occur and there's some big ones coming before too long and i think that you'll hear some of those in the next two or three weeks as of last week i met had had dinner with one of those developers and he said doug give me two more weeks before you announce so we're under non-disclosure for two more weeks but (laughs) please please tell us uh, (laughs) well let me me tell you this there will be there will be a large it'll be a large retail business and I think when people see actually see the stores up, and they start going in to buy, they're going to be saying, wow, I never thought that would come to Steenville, Texas. No, there's no. it's, it's some exciting times. That's just one development. You know, We also have development over uh, at Charlton Crossing, which Malcolm has, and, and he's there's a lot of interest in that as well. And mm-hmm. there's some business. They'll be developing there. There's a question whether the hotel will be there or not. They There's some uh, issues with some sound. I'll just be honest with you. The issue is the railroad track. Oh. You know, A&M built a big hotel on campus all back. The number one complaint they have is it's right by the railroad. Oh. And they and I heard from a developer the other day in College Station that they get hundreds of complaints every week on the sound and the sound penetration. So, there's a question about the sound at that location. So, my and I had lunch with that developer last week as well. He still plans to come to Stephenville. It's just where is it going to be? Right. And so again when I, and that, that's the one who'll bring the conference center. Well, there's other hotels talking to us as well matter of fact, there's a developer in College Station that will be here sometime, he said, just after Valentine's Day. We'll fly up, and we're, I met with him. That, well, I, Jeff Santafer at Seda and I met with him, and he said, I'm interested and I have been interested in quite some time in building a, a hotel in Stephenville, Texas. Huh. So he's uh-huh. coming to look as well. Right. So there's, there's quite a bit of interest. And, yeah, we are that tertiary market for so long. But right now, if you look uh-huh. at the market between the, the traffic between 281 and the west side of Stephenville. The big area is you start Harbin Drive and you go out to the Ford dealership and that area is a tremendous, the biggest area is right there at Walgreens and CVS. That's where the big traffic count is. So guess where everybody wants to be? Right. You know, if I can spend another 50 cents or a dollar square foot and be there – rather than someplace else. So, that's what's, that's what's going on now. There's, there is a lot of interest in
2: its traffic count. If I could just follow up on that. Instead of someplace else, and I automatically think of the old town square. I mean, it's just a beautiful place and it's historic rather than the, the more busy um, other side of town where the chains are at. Is there anything being done to kind of keep businesses in the, near the old town square and revitalize that historic area?
1: You know, I, a good friend of mine from college was the mayor in Granbury for quite some time. And I asked him once, I said, what if, if you were going to come to Steenville and got to do anything you wanted to do, what would you do? He said, you have the most beautiful downtown of any city I've been. It's a beautiful downtown. It's different than Granbury, the size of how far the setbacks are from the— uh, from the courthouse etc but it's a beautiful downtown and you mentioned earlier the title companies etc what's down there and there is a downtown business district stevenville has generated uh, the city council uh, sectioned off certain parts of stevenville that relieve some of the requirements that maybe a walmart would have for parking where they don't have to have all off-street parking etc so we've done some of that and you've noticed there have been some business developed downtown mm-hmm and there is we've also the city is now applied for received some funding we're about to hire a downtown business district manager so the purpose is to go downtown to those businesses and say what can i do to bring it back you know to bring back the life to downtown other than eight to five i went to a conference in mccallum texas about two years ago and that was the one part of the. I spent my entire time at full day at that part of the conference. What do you do about downtown? And there's some simple things. This one lady that we've now joined her organization is how do you revitalize downtown? And sometimes it's just as simple as having events down there. Well, we have some organizations that bring events downtown to Stephenville. Just as an example just trick or treat
0: right yes we, we came to that that was that there's was all very kind of, enjoyable so
1: think more and more happening we've actually talked at some point about maybe doing some of the concert series during the summer downtown but there's got to be a venue to do it there's mm-hmm. got to be a location etc and then you have traffic control and so on but there's a lot to do downtown if we just organize it and so we're hiring we will hire a manager for the downtown mm-hmm. development
0: Right. Well, one of the things that we stress heavily here uh, in our uh, government courses is civic engagement. It's it's challenging students uh, to be thinking about uh, not only the the opportunity they have here in on, on campus, but in their communities back home. But thinking ahead, I mean, these are uh, students that will be uh, raising families and living in communities, whether it's here or elsewhere, and there's always going to be issues, decisions being made by local government that's, that's going to have an impact on them. And so we try to give them a little bit of guidance and some of the tools that we can say, well, you're not just passing a core curriculum course that the state of Texas requires you to take. We're really focusing on, uh, information and skills that are going to help you in the future. Uh, we've got a lot of a lot of people in our community that that uh, uh, may not even think about, it or just may ask the question: uh, How do I get more involved? How can I be more engaged? And so, in, in your work as mayor and uh, in your involvement, your long involvement here in this community, uh, what are the things that you recommend? How do you how do you speak to this issue of saying: How can you be more engaged in what's going on? Uh, at City Hall or, or at the county or even even the state level. I mean, like you said, uh, politics being local, but it's really these issues that are decided by our city council that, that uh, city government puts in place that, has, that, that have a lot of impact on our lives. So in terms of civic engagement, what, what, what are the things that you like to focus on?
1: Last year during the Charlton Day at the, at the Capitol building, I spoke to the students that were there. And one of the things I told them is everyone that you see in this big building down here or even in Washington puts their pants on one, one foot at a time. They're no different than you are. The difference is to be able to make a change at a state level is difficult. You go to Washington, it even becomes sometimes almost impossible, especially if you don't have some big pack Lobby team that goes up there and works on it. If you want to make change in how things happen that affect your life directly, city and local government, county government being another example, but I'm talking particularly city here, that's how you do that. You can make changes here because if I drive down I 35 and there's something wrong with the highway or how the traffic is controlled or whatever, who do I call? some 800 number someplace, and they may or may not even listen to it, and then do I get any satisfaction from it? But if you pick up the phone, and you call Alan Barnes, who's the city manager, you call Doug Fain, the city mayor, or you call one of the city council members, I guarantee you one of us will respond. Something will happen about that. So if you really want to get engaged in making change in people's lives, city government is where that starts. So the best way to do it is start coming to council meetings. Go to the website, find out who your councilmen or councilwomen are, and then get to know who they are, get their phone number, call them and talk to them. I can tell you, I, get my, I post my cell phone and someone said, Doug, that was a mistake. Give them your house phone and let go of the voicemail. I answer every phone call. Yeah. And it's important because what I find is, you know, you can get a, I, sometimes we'll have someone a call that is just as mad as a wet hen about 10 different things. Well, I can't fix 10 things at one time. I say, what's the most important first? And we start working on the most important first. And what most people are not, they're not upset about all 10 things. They're upset about not being listened to not getting something done so you start working on things getting done and all of a sudden those folks they become a whole lot more satisfied but at the local level you can do that one of the first places to do it is learn who your council people are learn their phone numbers learn their email addresses and call them and talk to them directly all nine council members including me all of us will respond we have a tremendous city council right now you say there's a problem the answer may be there's nothing we can do But the answer is probably somewhere between we'll give you what you want or what you need and what the status is today. So to do that, get a hold of those council people, those those legislators, if you will. The second thing is come to council meetings. I remember going to a council meeting once where we were going to raise the rates on water and sewer. Everybody, I've been on council for years and several years, and the answer was you can't do that. There's a little lady down the street who can't afford it etc it's a it's a political challenge to raise water and circus everybody pays them even if you're a renter you pay them because if i go up on mm-hmm. rates your tenant's going to go up in the rates as well or if you pay them yourself but what happens i walked in the room and the, the mayor at the time was kenny weldon i want you to know i think kenny weldon was one of the greatest things that ever happened to texas in steamboat texas He's government. with us here at Tarleton. yes he is I, I sat with him at the basketball game last night he was a tremendous mayor i after every council meeting, I would call him and say, what in the world did you just say? Explain that to me again. <laughs> because he, he is very, very smart. Right. And his job in the military was acting as a mayor for government, for this uh-huh. uh, military. But what would happen is we walked in the room, and the, the room was packed. I mean, it was packed. And I said, Kenny, can I just run this meeting? And I sat down, I just showed pictures, and I said, here's the condition of our water and sewer system, particularly sewers at the time. We talked about miles, we talked about numbers of holes, we talked about ratings that we get. Every time we have a spillage on top of the road, we have to turn ourselves in to the state of Texas. And then it creates another financial burden to us. So we just went through and discussed all of that with account, with all the staff there, and I said, "You know, I'm open for any suggestions. Here's the only thing I know to do, and we raised a pretty good chunk of raise in rates but it was to be split out over four years but it was just saying for the next four years you're going to get this much rate increase every year in your water and sewer bill and here is why i'm open for suggestions and not a person in the room had a suggestion what they said was i didn't know it was that bad Uh i didn't realize that was the Uh case and so thank you for telling us so coming to council meetings you have an opportunity to because when you walk in there you say oh my gosh there's 45 people in this room tonight and even more than that you can go online we stream live all the city council meetings and i can tell you there are times you'll see me up there and i'm doing this on my phone is because someone is texting me as i'm talking about something i said or someone down the, down the road said from here or wait a minute what about this and so getting engaged with the city council is really important and i can tell you also that alan barnes and all of his department heads i'm going to tell you all the staff but specifically the department heads are incredibly sensitive to the city's needs the people's needs again there's things they can't do because it takes governance from us to tell them they can and usually that means funding it or a change in direction but they all answer i'll tell you nick williams is, is responsible for our streets our water and our sewer one of the biggest challenges you could face in the city is also the landfill You call Nick Williams and say, I don't care if you are 90 years old and you're a fixed Social Security income or whether you're the person that owns the biggest business in town. I have a problem. If he can fix it, it'll be fixed immediately. I can't tell you how many times I call him. From someone will call me and say, I'll call him. He'll say, Doug, thank you for telling me about that. And it's done immediately. So getting engaged talk to the staff of the city you can get on the city website and it shows the organization on our website we don't have a very good website we're working on that but (laughs) it may take you some seeking you can can text me and i'll send you the link to where to go but it'll tell you who the staff are who the department heads are how to contact them alan barnes will respond every time i can tell you that because if for no other reason than he knows if it comes to me after it's gone to him i'll ask him why haven't you called but he'll he'll call i've never had that happen he everybody will respond Talk to your governor, your governance body, which is your, you your legislature, which is city council, and with the staff who actually run it. Unlike a lot of the big state agencies, we will respond. Uh-huh.
2: Well, uh, I've been living in the town for four years. Um, my wife and kids are here, and we've learned to love this place. It has the small town benefits in terms of, you know, we got baseball, we got parks, we got these trails, and it's safe and it's got good schools. But it also has a lot of activity and cultural diversity and things that Tarleton itself brings. And we just have learned to love this place and. Um, So we just want to thank you for all the work that you're doing to help continue to make Stephenville such an attractive place for people to live and especially raise families like we're doing. And I know we're honored to have you on the show.
0: Yes, thank you. And uh, this is also educational, like what we're trying to do with our show is that let's get people inform, more informed about how they can be engaged. Uh, one of the challenges that we see today is just information, being able to, sure. to call someone or, or, or to read about, to be, be in touch with the information sources so that they know what's going on. And uh, and we're going to continue to do that. And, and we know you'll be out there doing it as mayor in your role as you've, as you've been doing it. But we certainly want to thank you today uh, for being with us. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back for more Cogli and Morrow on politics.
2: Politics can be confusing, but Cogli and Morrow have your back. Follow them on Facebook. Search Cogli and Morrow on politics to stay up to date with the show and for all of the sources to follow right along. Cogli and Morrow is a production of the Tarleton Radio Network.
0: Welcome back to Cogley and Morrow on Politics. Well, we we have a little part of the show here left to kind of catch up with some national news related to the impeachment process. Uh, not spending a lot of time here on, on where we are, but that, that uh, this has moved over to the Senate and we can get back to more of the details as things progress in the week ahead. And also we had a another debate of uh, uh, Democratic candidates for president. We need to give that some attention uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, but I, I wanted to turn to, to finish up the show today. Uh, I had a little bit of a hypothesis here after the... Uh, story came out in the news about the uh, Government Accountability Office uh, finding that the Impoundment Act had been violated uh, by the delay of the aid uh, to Ukraine that really kind of goes back and looks at some of the uh, uh, early issues that were developing around the impeachment process. And the reason I go back to that is uh, uh, once that came out, I mean, this this brought back attention to a couple of uh, op-eds that uh, my co-host, Dr. Cogley, had put out there, and I began to look at the timeline a little bit because the news stories were going back to Senator Chris Van Holland of Maryland and saying that back in December, he was the one that uh, asked the GAO to begin this investigation, and, and that was about mid-December, a little, little bit after that. Uh, well, your first uh, op-ed on this came out in November. Yes. Uh, now, we do need to go back a little bit and say that the House Budget Committee did put out uh, a little fact sheet on the Impoundment Act. Uh, back in October and kind of tied that to uh, the, the uh, Trump administration. But it, but it was not that, – that didn't receive much attention. And, and uh, so I have a little bit of a hypothesis here. Did, uh, did our own Dr. Cogley here uh, turn the wheels a little bit by uh, addressing the Impoundment Act? Because now, as I found out as we came into the studio today, uh, he has a third article – that will be published in the Washington Examiner uh, as an op-ed on this same issue.
2: In fact, the third one was uh, published on Friday. Okay. Um, So, yeah, I've had a nice series here. The first one was in November, as you mentioned, as I started looking into this. I mean, they're saying... Uh, could the president defer these funds? And I started looking in the act that actually uh, uh, regulates those from 1974 and, and learned a lot about there's, there's difference between temporarily deferring and rescinding and all that. So the first one covered that. And then when the House Intelligence Committee released its report it was citing the impoundment control act and it was all buried on page like 152 and i just saw that i felt they were using it improperly and so i wrote the second op-ed and then on thursday you know i didn't think i'd have a very busy day and then um, all of a sudden impoundment control act was a national headline news Mm -hmm. and the government accountability office had released its findings on the day that the senate trial of the impeachment began um suggesting that the president had violated the impoundment control act and in, in a constitutional crisis type sense and i also felt as i read the government accountability office decision which is really an opinion um that there were some things maybe not consistent in their logic and so i wrote a third op-ed which the washington examiner published the next morning so i've had kind of a, a nice nice run on these three things. Um, I never knew in my career I'd be a empowerment control act specialist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know on, on my hypothesis, I mean, it's hard to uh, prove because we would have to interview uh, Senator Van Hollen or maybe members of his staff as to where they had the initiative to kind of move forward with this. But I, I think really the serious question is in all of this is what what is the, what is the impact on where we are? I know your original argument was that uh, this addressed uh, the issue in the Trump administration withholding the aid, uh, much more so than, say, an impeachment process. Uh, but uh, my, I guess my question is, where do you see, what, what's the impact of this now with the GAO coming out with this? Uh, again, we look back and the funds were released eventually. Yeah. Uh, so that, that makes that kind of a moot point other than, oh, slap your hand, say, don't do that again. Uh, but in terms of the mix, as you're seeing it with uh, the, the move of the trial to the Senate, Uh, Does this have an impact at this point?
2: Well, a lot of our listeners will be aware that we have a divided Congress and Democrats versus Republicans, and they really have a different impression on the president's motives and what the president's up to. What's interesting is a lot of this partisanship spills over into how people interpret the laws that are related to the question at hand. And so the Democratic Party and Republican Party seem to have different interpretations of this law and whether or not the the law actually validates the president's actions or the president is in violation of the actions. What's really interesting in the latest one in the Government Accountability Office report is that now we see this kind of different interpretation spilling over into a dispute between the government accountability office and the office for management and budget which also says the president was authorized to do what he did and now the government accountability office is um, saying that the president wasn't one thing interesting my earlier two op-eds had really highlighted that the empowerment control act gives a special role for the controller General to help resolve this dispute. The Impoundment Control Act is set up to resolve this dispute. When there's a dispute over temporary deferring within the fiscal year, the controller General himself can issue a report to be interpreted as a special message, allowing Congress to do an impoundment resolution, disproving of the President. Um, the controller General also in Section 687 is a real strong section, which says if the President needs to obligate and he's not obligating, it's the controller General that needs to bring a civil case in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C., so it really spells out if we get a situation where a president needs to obligate and he's not, this is a civil case in U.S. District Court in Washington, D.C., brought by the Comptroller General. None of that happened, right. you know, it went straight to impeachment of the president. And so, some of my earlier stuff was really highlighting that these alternatives take place and the much more proper way to handle this dispute over the funds is through a civil case in U.S. District Court if it gets that far and you know the funds were released so we never even got that far in my opinion and the Government Accountability Office report was very interesting in that it played up this temporary deferral as a big constitutional crisis, when in fact the Impoundment Control Act says it's not, it says there's there's already procedures in place. And it also exonerated the director of the Government Accountability Office, who is the Controller General, from any responsibility and didn't even mention right. the, yeah. the civil case option. So I kind of wrote another op-ed to remind people that actually this is coming out of the office of someone who's involved in this, who actually, whose title appears in the Impoundment Control Act in 1974. And so I think it's definitely circular because it's in the Washington Examiner in DC. Some people are reading it. I don't know who's reading it and who in, it's influencing, but today the DC Examiner actually tweeted them out again. So mm-hmm. I'm starting to get a lot of uh, readers and followers. My Twitter my Twitter account is not very big, so if anyone wants to follow on right. Twitter, I'm still <laughs> building it. But to, this current op-ed is helping get that out. Well, so what we're seeing is that with this coming out and, and,
0: lo- and watching it and reading about it in the Uh, the sources that I've looked at is it's feeding, really feeding into the politics of the moment. It's being taken by either side. Uh, One, I think it goes back to one thing that we talked about in looking at the uh, impeachment process was Early on, uh, should Trump had just owned up to this and said, "Well, yes," but then to explain it and saying I was concerned about corruption in Ukraine, I didn't want uh, American taxpayer dollars going to uh, a government and to the, the possibilities of uh, uh, being used for uh, corrupt purposes, and and then uh, then would have said, "Okay, well, fine, we violated a law. Slap on the hand. I'm, you know, I'm. I haven't been in government that long. I'm. I'm. I'm just doing. I'm looking out for the best interests of the people. Uh, that that was a." a uh, uh, recommendation that was floating around by some at that time to say, hey, th- th- this could derail the impeachment process in terms of public opinion and support. Now we're kind of on the other end of this. And so something like this comes out and 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 it's being used uh, for really political purposes, because as you're saying, the, the understanding of the law itself and the application of the law uh, is not really being followed by b- on, on either side. I mean, in the in the sense that it uh, then it, the, either the lack of awareness of it, or uh, Congress or the the, the comptroller initiating uh, an investigation to look at this to address it. Now we're post that it's been paid. Uh, Democrats using it in a way to say, uh, well, look, here's this makes this case even more so, makes it worse, or adds fuel to the fire for impeachment.
2: Yeah, one thing is that um, presidents have deferred funds for many reasons over many times. And when I first issued the first one, I got some response from people. Oh, president trump can't possibly know about this um, and then i looked into that and he's actually the first president since bill clinton to actually propose a rescission bill in uh mm-hmm. after his after his first election a pretty massive one that almost got through the senate and didn't so um, a lot of this actually comes down to the request for an investigation into burisma and the biden's and was it for personal interest as the Democrats stay, or was there a national interest concern? One point I make about is those aren't mutually exclusive. I mean, you know, uh, it, the president is concerned about something improper and investigates it. If it happens to have a personal benefit, that may be coincidental.
0: Well, thank you. And we're going to keep following this. Thank you for joining us today. We'll pick up more on impeachment, uh, democratic race for the presidency next week on Cogley and Morrow on politics.
2: This has been the Tarleton Radio Network podcast with production from AJ Heier and Taylor Welch. Find more great shows by searching Tarleton Radio Network wherever you get your podcasts.